All right. Well, we're going to finish, Lord willing, uh, what we started last week. And so if uh, you notice in tonight's uh, outline, I have the first three uh, points there where you're going to look at 12 different aspects of what every, every believer should know about the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week's outline, some of them are in the back. If you missed, uh, the Wednesday nights are on the website, so you can listen and uh, catch up that way. But last week, uh, the first three of the various 12 principles, and it's not that that's all there is. That's just for time's sake. I kind of had to pick and choose, consolidate. Um, so uh, there, there's quite a bit more, but just some of them were a little redundant, uh, different principles on the Spirit, but we just try to be a little more economize for our time. But last week we talked about uh, the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. And again, these are just what we reviewed three things last week, and the deity of the Holy Spirit. Talked about that some in depth. Talk about the personality or the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not an it. And uh, we talked about that and gave some, again, all these things gave scriptural um, basis to these things. And then we spent the remainder of our time talking about the Holy Spirit uh, is the Spirit of truth. Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will lead you and guide you into all truth. And as I said, uh, last week's is online, so you can, uh, you can uh, pull that up if you want. And we're going to continue with number four tonight. Number four in tonight's study as we continue to look at uh, 12 things. And this is just kind of a a flyover. You know, we're just doing a flyover. This is not in depth. As I said last week, we, the study of the Holy Spirit, um, we study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, is uh, the study of pneumatology. It's not important you remember that, but it's just that's the category of theology. Like eschatology is the study of end times, Christology is the study of Jesus. So, pneuma, pneuma coming from um, the uh, word uh, for breath. Uh, in the Greek, uh, wind, pneuma, uh, so speaking about the understanding of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that we're going to get into, but, but it, what we're doing is we're laying a foundation down because a lot of times when we hear teaching on the Holy Spirit, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit, we always immediately start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all those things. And all those things we're going to cover, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit, there's a lot more of the Holy Spirit uh, is involved in in Scripture than just those parts in the New Testament. Those parts are undergirded by everything that we're talking about in these principles here. So we'll, we'll get to that in time, but we're just, again, doing a, uh, a flyover overview of some different aspects of the Holy Spirit. So number four, tonight, uh, of everything, uh, what every Christian should know about the Holy Spirit, is number four, the Holy Spirit. Let me get my PowerPoint on. Get it turned over. And of course, the scripture we may read every week, but it's the scripture Jesus promised, uh, John 14, 16, and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, comforter. The word paraclete in the Greek means one who comes alongside. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he is to be with you forever. He calls him the Spirit of truth, and he dwells with you and will be in you. And we talked again, that first week foundationally. So number four is the Holy Spirit, uh, the thing that you should remember and understand, used people 
to write the Bible. And these scriptures there in your outline, uh, the, probably the main, main ones, the 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That phrase uh, in the New King James that's used inspired or inspiration of God if you uh, look at another, other versions like the NIV or the ESV, they have it literally of what it means. It means breathed out. All Scripture is breathed out. And so again, inspire. You've heard me talk about this before. When somebody passes away, they write down the date of when they expired. So inspired is life coming in. Expiration is life going out or... or breath going out. So when it talks about all Scripture is inspired, all Scripture is God-breathed, all right? 2 Peter 1.21, along with that uh, thought there in the uh, Christian Standard Bible that's in your outline, says that no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, notice the language here, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit was behind the writers, uh, it is not, some people misunderstand and think um, there is this um, kind of a psychic phenomenon of, of somebody being under a trance and some spirit taking over and they're just writing and have no forethought of what they're writing. That is not what, what this is talking about here. It just means when you look at the various... 66 books of the Bible and the various authors and backgrounds, God used individuals, He used their background, He used their, their way that they express words, they used kings, prophets, Paul a scholar, Luke a doctor. He used all these individuals and used their styles, their writing, their personalities, their experiences, but to say that it, they were carried along, it means that the Holy Spirit ensured that what they were writing was accurate and sound, okay? So that means that the Holy Spirit overshadowed it, just like the picture in Genesis chapter 1 where it talks about the Spirit over, over, uh, brooding over the face of the earth, literally brooding uh, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed or oversaw, supervised, and made sure that the words that they wrote were accurate and reflected the truth of God, okay? So notice the language there, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. One example that I don't have in your outline, just of something Jesus referenced in Matthew, it's on the screen. In Matthew 22, verses 43 for 45, Jesus, in, just in context, is having a bit of a debate uh, challenge by the Pharisees who were challenging his claim to be Messiah. And again, Jesus, I just want you to see something Jesus quoted in this dialogue. Notice what he says. He says, and he said to them, that is the Pharisees, uh, how then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? And he's referencing uh, the psalm that uh, uh, David wrote there. But all I want you to see is Jesus' statement when he talks about David wrote uh, in the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, another scripture uh, on that line from the uh, Christian Standard Bible that I have there is when the uh, disciples or apostles were released from jail, how they gave God thanks that they were worthy to be 
uh, suffer uh, for the cause of Christ. But I just want you to notice something they said in Acts 4. When they heard this, they raised their voices uh, together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Notice again, verse 25. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, and again, goes on to quote uh, something David said there in the psalm. All I want you to see is with a reference to Jesus, speaks about David spoke by the Holy Spirit, the apostles in their uh, giving God praise and acknowledge that the Holy Spirit was behind the mouth of David. So David wrote it, David spoke it, but the Holy Spirit was the one that overshadowed or inspired or breathed, okay? So their recognition that even though they were words of David, but it was the Holy Spirit who gave them the word. So the Holy Spirit is behind the Scriptures, and that's a wonderful thing that the Holy Spirit living inside of me, uh, the presence of God is never going to say anything that contradicts or is contrary to what he's already stated and what he's already said, okay? So the Holy Spirit uh, has spoken and spoke to individuals concerning the recording of Scripture. A lot more that can be said. Let me just point out one thing that's important, especially as we get later on talking about uh, spiritual gifts and those things, is remember that, uh, and, I'm, and I think it's always a caution to be cautious when you or anybody or me says, the Lord's told me, okay? Um, and it's not denying that the Lord doesn't speak into our lives, but I think we also have to be a bit cautious because the Lord uh, doesn't speak to me the way that he spoke uh, authoritatively to the Apostle Paul, or he spoke to the other apostles. doesn't mean that God doesn't speak, but my words, your words, do not have the same level of authority as Scripture does, all right? And so, for example, the Scripture in 1 John 4, 1, I think that's in your outline there, uh, John the Apostle warns uh, and says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, meaning Everyone that is claiming to have a word of the Lord or speaking on the basis of God, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. How do we test a word from the Lord? How do we test an impression that maybe somebody uh, is believing the Lord is leading, the, leading them to do something? Well, we do it by the authoritative standard here. So it's not a either or, it's both and, word and spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 is important, and we'll look at this later on um, when we're talking about the, whether prophecy and the role of that. But in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, that's also in your outline, Paul, the apostle, said, let two or three prophets speak. Now, we're like, what is that all about? You mean that there are prophets in the church? Well, apparently in Corinth, not only were there prophets, but Paul gave them a green light. And he said, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Now, Paul never, ever, ever gave anybody a green light to judge his apostolic teaching. Because he made it clear that what he, when I'm thinking about like Galatians, the book of Galatians and other books, that he wrote and taught with authority that this is what was given to me by Christ. But yet, he acknowledges that Whatever this role of prophets are in the church, they should be judged. So that would suggest 
that there's a secondary level when we talk about the word of the Lord, there might, and I'm just suggesting this, that we'll talk about in depth, that, because some people say, oh, well, there can't be any of that because we're, the Bible's closed, okay? I understand that. But then, how does, well, how does that fit in about that there are prophets, and the Bible talks about people speaking a word of, of, of prophecy, and yet he says there in that passage in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, that that type of prophecy, that type of speaking a word of the Lord, should be evaluated, should be judged. So there is a difference between uh, the word, capital W, and a word, little w. Does that make sense? Maybe just oversimplification. And so this is, we say, is infallible. Okay? But... My, whether you would call it a word, impression, whatever you want to say, and I think many of you have had this, where you might be praying for somebody. You may not have had called it a prophecy, but this is kind of similar to what it is, that you had a certain impression as you prayed for somebody of something you were to speak into their life or say something to them or just something, some word of encouragement. You weren't going to say, now I want you to go divorce your husband and well, you know, that wouldn't be of the Lord, right? But there was something to say, look, I've been praying for you, and, you know, and I just feel like the Lord wants you to, wants you to know he's with you. You know, it's just a word of encouragement. It's an admonishment. But at the same time, um, not everything that pops in your head is a word of the Lord. I grew up in a, back, in a, in a setting where it's almost like every little thought that popped past somebody's head, that, that must be a word of the Lord. And I thought, you know, I don't think God's saying that much. You know, I mean that, I mean, and I'm being a little facetious, but not, because what we end up doing is everybody makes a claim on God told me, but you're like, really? Did God, is God, you know? So we have to hold these things humbly and loosely, but we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater either into saying, well, God can't speak into my life and give me maybe a word of encouragement or a word of exhortation or something like that. So again, we're going to get into that in depth and say, well, maybe is that, is that something that died off with the apostles or is that something that's still uh, available and that God wants us to, to, to have today? Is that something that we need to find out where's the balance? What is the balance of teaching there? And not get off in, in uh, la-la land and get it... Uh, out of extreme, but I just point that out in reference that the Bible is our standard. How do we judge what somebody says, what somebody teaches? You know, another way, prophecy, prophecy just means speak forth the word. So in one sense, I prophesy every Sunday morning. I'm speaking forth the word. That's all that is, okay? I know we use prophecy for, you know, end times prophecy. We use it in a lot of different ways. Uh, and uh, so, so if I'm going to judge, if I'm going to follow through, and I find that interesting, that passage in 1 Corinthians, because remember, the Corinthians had a lot of extremes on a lot of gifts, but I find it interesting, Paul never said, hey, 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 cut that nonsense out, stop. Don't you know that that's all dying down? No, he didn't, he didn't do that. He just, you know what he did? He gave them some guardrails of how to operate the gifts within a certain balanced perimeter. So when he said, look, if somebody who, who has, and again, I'm getting a little ahead here, so don't, don't over-evaluate uh, where I'm going with this, but if somebody speaks a word and it's, it's quote-unquote a prophetic or they have a gift in that area, he says two or three sh people should judge that and evaluate that. Does that line up with Scripture? Is that consistent with the word? Is it et cetera, et cetera? 
Paul never gives anybody credence to take what he wrote as, an, as a revelation from Jesus himself. In fact, if you remember, you men are studying Galatians. I don't know where you're at on Tuesday nights. But one of the things that Paul says there in the first or second chapter, when he's saying, look, the, 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 the message of grace, and I'm paraphrasing it, he said, that is something that was given to me by Jesus himself. And he said, I didn't even, I didn't even ask the apostles down in Jerusalem for permission. Because he says, this was given to me directly. Paul never says that everybody should judge what he teaches. He said, no, I'm teaching you by the authority of Jesus. So that's a different level of authority than what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians about let two or three judge if somebody says, you know, I believe the Lord is, wants me to share something or, or, or speak something. Does that make sense? So, so one, we hold and evaluate by Scripture, but Scripture is not being writ, continued to be written, okay? That part, the apostolic word, the Bible, the authority of Scripture, that is finished, okay? We're not, we're not, we don't have a Bible like we have those no notebooks back there with three rings and we're adding some new Scriptures every week. We're not doing that, but it doesn't mean... That God, through the lens or through the filter of Scripture, still is not working through prayer and answered prayer and, and operating in our lives. And we're going to talk about uh, that later on when we get to that, and that'll be a lot of fun. All right? We'll all disagree to agree to disagree, maybe. But here's the application. These are just applications I wrote down. They're not. Uh, I, they're, they're nothing profound. They're just trying to say, okay, how, what is, what's the so what here? And the application is because the Holy Spirit inspired people to write the Bible, I have a reliable, trustworthy guide and standard of truth for my life. Listen, there, there's no standard of truth in our culture. They can't even figure out what a man and a woman is. All right, number five, the Holy Spirit is our... Teacher, John 14, 26, I read that earlier, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Um, look at uh, 1 John 2, 27. Uh, again, I need to check and make sure I have those that in there. Yeah, 1 John 2, 27. This is John the Apostle writing, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Now let me... Make sure we understand what it's not saying. And we don't have time to read what he wrote previously. He's talking about these false teachers that are peddling some false doctrine there that the Apostle John is writing to, getting people overly dependent okay, upon them to be the mouthpiece or vehicle for, to hear God and speak to them and teach them. And he's saying, look, you don't need to have an over-dependence upon human teachers you have the Spirit of God, and you can be led into truth. That's what he's talking about there. Not somebody that says, well, I'm just kind of an island to myself. I don't need a pastor. I don't need anybody to teach in my life. I have the Holy Spirit, and, and that's all I need. Well, you're going to be a, a, a cuckoo, okay? Because people like that are, not, are imbalanced and are, you know, that flies in the face of so much Scripture. Think about how much of the Bible, the New Testament, you can't do by yourself. Think about all the one anothering things. Think about all the church life. You know, most of the letters in the New Testament are written to churches, people gathered, all right? So it's not saying 
You can just, it's just you and your Bible and, and the Holy Spirit, and that's all you need. But what it is saying is that you, by the Holy Spirit, by the presence of the Spirit in your life, Jesus, Spirit of God dwelling in you, you don't have to be dependent in some kind of, um, uh, I don't want to say cult-like, that's, not, that's a little extreme, but your dependency is not on man to lead you, that you have the ability to to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you into truth. That's, what, that's all John is saying there. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And of course, the scripture that um, I read earlier about how the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, He will teach you all things. Now, there's two ways that this is done. The Holy Spirit works directly and indirectly. Okay, Directly, uh, the Holy Spirit teaches us the Word. The Holy Spirit. Have you ever uh, studied something in the Bible for yourself, and you learn something, a truth maybe, and you were all excited about that, and then maybe that week or that month or whatever, now to you it's, it's a brand new truth. That doesn't mean it's brand new. It just means to you, you learn that, the Holy Spirit revealed that to you, and you're reading and you're studying, and then a week later or two weeks later, you're listening to David Jeremiah or you're listening to somebody else, and they affirm what you, you didn't get it from a commentary, you didn't get it because you were listening to this person or that person, but they are like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, that's, I learned that. And they're affirming which, which you learned, what the Holy Spirit enabled you to discover. That's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing when that happens. So there's direct, but it's never contrary to Scripture, but also there's the indirect teaching of the Holy Spirit, and this is where the Holy Spirit applies uh, what we read or hear. So, if I'm just reading, I guess that's why I'm using those little things at the end there of the so what's, because again, if truth doesn't apply to my life and how I live, then it's just a collection of a lot of facts and knowledge. And I need to say, okay, how does this connect with my life? How does this truth about the Holy Spirit, how does this connect with how I am to walk and live? So here, for example, on that particular one about the Holy Spirit as our teacher, that because the Holy Spirit is my teacher, and here's, here's the application, I just, you may come up with something different, but I, because the Holy Spirit is my teacher, I can consistently know and understand the will of God for my life. I can know it, know it, but understand it. You know, a lot of people know facts of the Bible, but they don't have any understanding. I want understanding. I want to I I understand. The, I, mean, I read that scripture a couple weeks ago about in Hebrews, how the Israelites in the wilderness failed to enter in the promised land. And one of the things the Lord said is, they did not understand my ways. I want to understand the ways of God. I understand how God works. How, what are His ways? I don't want to just know how many you know, chapters there are in the book of Mark and how many times the word water is used. In chap- you know, all that trivia. A lot of people have trivia. There's a lot of trivia. <laughs> They're full of trivia. And that's why their lives are out of whack. Because trivia isn't going to help you in your life. A lot of, you know, uh, people that got, they got notebooks on, about notebooks and been to more conferences and CDs or whatever. But why are their lives out of whack? Well, 
one or two ways. It's either them or the Word. And I don't think it's the Word. I think there's somehow a disconnect between the application of truth. And here's the wonderful thing in context of what we're talking about, is the Holy Spirit in us is always applying and connecting the Word into our life. If we let Him. So, times when you're reading and you're doing your, your daily Bible reading and you're just minding your own business, just reading your Bible, and all of a sudden you read something and it's like the Holy Spirit just took a big two-by-four and went, bam! And brought some issue where you spoke very mean-spirited to somebody. And all of a sudden, the Word and the Holy Spirit, they got you. Now, you got one or two choices. You can just say, oh, get behind me, Satan. I know that's not of God. Or you can say, thank you, Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the application in a minute. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're not only are teaching me, but you're helping me understand how to apply truth that glorifies you in my life. Now, again, you gotta, you got to obey. We're not robots, right? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me a lot. And it will continue, I hope, happen to me. So the Holy Spirit, because He's my teacher, because He is my teacher, I can consistently know and understand the will of God for my life. All right, number six. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The New Living Translation that I don't have there says, do not bring sorrow to God's Spirit. The Amplified, I don't think I have it there. No, I don't have it. The Amplified, which tries to bring out the nuances in the Greek and Hebrew, says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, that is, do not offend or vex or sadden Him. You can't sadden or grieve an it, a force, impersonal. I can go out, the wind could be blowing, I can just yell at the wind and talk about how uncaring the wind is. The wind doesn't care because the wind is just wind. Holy Spirit, that's why we talk about the person or the personality a person can be grieved it's interesting the um and i don't have this in your note if you want to make a notice but the greek word lupeo l-u-p-e-o is the transliteration of it means to get your feelings hurt do not hurt the feelings of the holy spirit what hurts the feelings of the holy spirit look at the next verse there in verse 31 and 32 in your outline let all bitterness, wrath... Now, that, this is right after he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get it out. Put it away. And be kind 
to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So how, just looking at that, in that sense, how can we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, it seems that grieving the Holy Spirit means that when we allow temper, anger, harsh words, uh, speaking unkindly, having a grudge, pointing the finger, those things hurt the feelings of the Holy Spirit. And that may be odd for you to think of that, but it grieves the Holy Spirit. You know, we're, we should have a sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, but we need to maybe work on having a sensitivity to Him, of what affects Him, what affects the Spirit. That's why times in, in my life that uh, when I've said something or I've been uh, cross to somebody or I said something out of impatience to my wife or something like that, uh, Holy Spirit just like, okay, you're not going to get away with that. You grieved me by your attitude there. And you know the quickest way to get out of it? I was wrong. That's the easiest way to get out of it. Because you know what? I'm grieve- I want to stop grieving the Holy Spirit, what I feel. Now, a lot of times we just say, well, you know what? I'm tired and irritated and they're just going to have to get over it. And I've done that. I've thought that. Just say, you know what? They'll just get over it. Yeah, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But again, grieving the Holy Spirit, making the Holy Spirit hurting the feelings of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's a person living inside of you. Holy Spirit is like, oh, ah, that's not a good, that's not a good, that's not a good attitude. Being sensitive to him is consistent with Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, living in love. He says in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13, 5, don't keep a record of wrongs. See? And that's where, again, a whole other teaching. If you've never, uh, well, we'll get off into that. But, you know, being easily offended. People left the church because somebody offended them. And I'm talking about somebody didn't talk to them in the hallway. Left. I'll show you my library of mea culpa letters. Falling on the sword letters. of Stuff that wasn't even my fault. I'm apologizing for y'all. No, I'm kidding you. <laughs> now, of trying to say, look, you know, hey, forgive us, forgive me, you know, whatever. Um, offense, being offended, allowing that to grieve the Holy Spirit. So what's the application? Because the Holy Spirit can be grieved, Here's the application. I must cultivate a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit regarding my inner attitude and words towards others. That scripture back in Ephesians 4, verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, being quick to forgive, being quick to give, every, give the person the benefit of the doubt. 
Number seven, related kind of to that, but it's a little different. I almost put them together. The Holy Spirit can be quenched, you know, like you're throwing water on a fire, quenching it. Um, you see some different ways and some of the different versions that it's used there. In the New King James, do not quench the Spirit, do not stifle the Spirit. I thought of Archie Bunker when he told Edith, stifle it. Sorry. Uh, I know that wasn't real spiritual, but stifle the Spirit. Don't stifle uh, the Amplified. Do not quench, that is suppress or subdue the Holy Spirit. New Century Version, the NCV, do not hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. So what is the difference between grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit? It seems as though when we grieve the Spirit, that's relating to our relationships with one another, judging, unforgiveness, bitterness, mal, all those things. Those things grieve the Spirit. Those have to do with our relationships one to another. When you talk about quenching the Spirit, we quench the Spirit when we are predisposed or prejudiced towards the way the Spirit may be revealing Himself or not respecting the presence of the Spirit. It might be having a predisposed idea of what God can do and what He can't do. Because we say, oh, that's not of God. Those lunatics over there at that place, that's not of God. That revival, that's not of God. Or those persons saying, well, again, what's our standard? Our standard, again, is Scripture, but we've got to be careful. We don't be, you know, how many of you know the Pharisees really knew the Scriptures? I mean, they were masters of the Scriptures. Did they please God? No, the scriptures were used as a hatchet and a hammer, you know. And there's some churches and, and people, preachers and teachers, that it's kind of like people gravitate towards them. It's like the harder and the meaner and the uglier they talk about other believers, they get, they get, they get turned on by that. They get excited. It's kind of like medicine. You know, it must be effective if it tastes bad. You know, preaching, boy, if this is the harder, harder they hammer that nail down, boy, they're just standing for truth. Well, maybe, but sometimes maybe they're not. Maybe what they're saying is accurate, but maybe their attitude and the way they're saying it is grieving the Holy Spirit. Something we have to... So, quenching, and we'll talk, maybe unpack this, more is that sometimes given maybe our backgrounds and I'm just speaking more transparent for me having grown up where I've seen a lot of extremes of what was called the Holy Spirit is that there's kind of this built-in resistance and caution to things getting out of control but don't you know the other extreme is just because something's out of control and everybody's acting like a nut that doesn't mean that's the Holy Spirit either. It can just be group chaos. But you know, there's something very peaceable when it's a true presence of the Holy Spirit, a true move of the Spirit. You know, there's some, and I think that's something sometimes we have to say, Lord, I don't want to be judgmental, but it doesn't mean I shouldn't be called upon to judge. Because remember what we just read in 
Paul said, if, you know, in the context of a prophet speaking, judge it. You know, John said it. Don't believe every spirit. Don't just, because it's on YouTube. I love YouTube, but I hate it. Because, it, you know, sometimes it's just every crazy thing. Sometimes people just like, you know, it must be true because it's on YouTube. So, let me just say it this way. The application. Because the Holy Spirit can be quenched, this is just my words. I must evaluate any personal attitudes and or actions that may hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in my local church. So what I mean by that is, well, that could apply to a lot of different things. I don't think that, again, is saying that uh, it just means that the Holy Spirit is moving when things just kind of are open-ended and there doesn't seem to be any order in anything. Well, but at the same time, guess what? Well, you know, I remember uh, this pastor... Oh, boy, I don't want to get in that. I'll save that later. I'm going to save that. All right, I don't want to get off of that. Um, so that's my teacher telling me, hush, don't, don't go there. Um, I was raised in a setting where it's almost as though the move of the Spirit was equated to disorder. And I, I don't agree with that. But at the same time, because we fear disorder, what do we end up doing? We've got a tight order. <laughs> you know? I mean, we've got everything. We've got right after the offering, we're going to have a moment of spontaneity for two minutes. Um, you know, we've got... I mean, everything is just... And it's almost as though... And this is just me talking. It's almost like the Holy Spirit's like, Hey, can, I, can you let me in? Right? So where's the balance? Where can you balance things? I don't know, as humans, we can ever be... See, because what you think might be balanced might be imbalanced. So I don't, I don't know. That's why I think it's okay that God has a variety of different churches and people expressions. Because we're all different. We're all different colors, races, backgrounds, all those things. And we bring our experiences and our... All those things, we can't just leave it all at the door. And uh, so, I guess for me, I'm just saying every time we're gathered, whether it's in a corporate setting or a small group or whatever, just saying, Lord, help me to make sure that my attitude and my heart is always tender and open to you. And even if that pushes my comfort zone. Maybe that's what I'm saying, is that sometimes, guess what? We need to have our comfort zone pushed a little bit. See, for some, it might be lifting your hands in worship. Because you think, oh, that's what the crazies do. Here's a tip. Close your eyes, raise your hands, and nobody will see you. Right? You know, raising your hands is biblical. Clapping your hands is biblical. I mean, there's dancing. And I'm not talking about the polka. I'm not talking about the, the hop or whatever it is, Keith, you did in high school. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, but again, what we think of, again, you look at the Jewish celebrations of dance. What do you do with that? 
See, so much of our way that we do church in our Western world has been influenced by our European heritage, which is very logical, methodical, right? You go overseas or you go over to Africa, you go down to South America, you realize the average, some of the biggest churches aren't two, 3,000 in places of Africa. They're 15,000, 20,000 church, member churches in some places. And there's a passion for God. Again, all I'm saying is, for me, I can't speak for anybody else, is saying, Lord, make sure, help me not to always try to fit you into my little, my little box of experiences. Because we tend to do that, don't we? Well, I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before. Well, what would you say? Well, I'm just saying is that maybe I, maybe I was in the wrong place and I never heard that before. But again, what's my standard? I need to say I need to be like those folks in Acts 17 that Paul commended those Bereans. I need to... See what the Word of God says. And that's going to be really important when we start... See, this is easy stuff we're talking about. Where it's going to really get exciting is when we start talking about how do you take the gifts of the Spirit and how do those operate in the church today? What does that look like? So, saying, Lord, just help me be pliable. But pliable doesn't mean gullible. Pliable doesn't mean that I just believe every wind of doctrine that floats along because so-and-so or this. No, I, I, I need to say, give me an attitude in my actions that I'm not a hindrance uh, to anything you do among, in, in the church. And again, I know that's a little arny. Yeah. So again, we want to say, what is that? And what does that look like in light of the authority of Scripture? You know? And so does that mean we start making prophecies that Trump's going to get elected next year and then he doesn't get it? And, and then these quote-unquote prophets look like dangling? You know, I'm just saying, that's where Christians can be their own worst enemy. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about speculating and calling it prophecy. I ain't talking about any of that. We'll talk about what that looks like. But yes, that's that's what does that look like? Huh? Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let me repeat for the, for the peanut gallery back there. <laughs> She's saying that, and I, and I appreciate you saying that. I'm hesitant because I don't want anybody to think like I'm, you know. But that I believe the Lord gives the pastor, and I would add elders, the, the God-given leadership in the church, they give them the shepherding authority to guard the flock. So, for example, and again, some of this may not be an example that you're familiar with. Some of you may. 
And I think about it a lot on Sundays. I'm always thinking about what-if scenarios, all right? What if this happens? You know, I know you don't think about it, but I do. Somebody comes in to the church, never seen him before, and in their experience background, during the worship, they come up and want to take the microphone from Teresa and say, I believe the Lord has a word for this church. Okay? Now, here's the thing. They might. That's the scary thing. I shouldn't say scary, but that's the... But here's the principle. I wouldn't let them do it. Because first of all, they're out of protocol. You do not do that. You don't come in as a stranger into a church or in a small group or whatever, and usurp something that is a role for a spiritual leader to do. What would be better protocol is if during the if they felt that is to come over and said, look, I'm new here, you don't know me, but blah, 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 and I just feel like the Lord wants to, and I'll say, well, let me think about it. Or I'd say, you know what, um, let's talk after church. I don't know you. I don't know what kind of spirit. Now, now I'm getting do 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 do. Okay, I don't know what you're bringing here. So again, my role and responsibility is to guard. Let's say, well, I don't want to get off on all these scenarios, but 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 your point is important there. But it doesn't mean I'm infallible. See, that's the that's the that's the scary. I know you're not saying that, but I mean that's the weightiness of that responsibility. Because guess what? Don't tell anybody. I get it wrong every once in a while. I get it. I, I mean, I will misjudge something and later find out, you know what? I totally misread that. So that's where, again, you need spiritually minded people. And here's the other thing, and this is, this is a little out of my box, is sometimes the Holy Spirit might be occasionally saying, hey, how are you going to know unless you take a risk every once in a while? Does that make sense? I'm not saying we let crate, you know, I'm always, again, I'm always qualifying because I, I got some stories. One night I'll just tell you stories of crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. But you know, the enemy can use that in my life to quench and make me fearful Right? I don't want to be fearful. I want us to be everything God would have for us as a church to be. But at the same time, we have to... And here's the thing. With teaching the Word and growing a mature church, guess what? A lot of it takes the weight off me because guess what? Let's say I get it wrong. You, who the Holy Spirit's in you, you're growing in the Word. Guess what? You can evaluate... The Holy Spirit can evaluate... You can evaluate it. And though I might allow something or do and get it wrong, you're mature enough in the Word, there's enough mature spiritual people here that would hear that and say, eh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Let's judge that. Let's evaluate that or whatever. That's the nice thing about having a body walking in the fullness of the Spirit. I'm not a cult leader, right? I'm not, a, I'm not the only one. But there is a role, like 
uh, Bonnie said there, that to some degree, uh, you could say in some ways, elders in the church are gatekeepers. You know? We want to keep the sheep in and keep the wolves out. Right? All right. Glad we solved that. All right. Eight. <laughs> Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's well, believe it or not, it does happen and it can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, yeah, maybe, maybe. But again, I'm always kind of what if? Maybe the person, maybe it and doing things. The right orderly way, but what if, what if maybe there's something, I don't know. I tend to think that the Holy Spirit will act consistently, and again, I think that's what I talk about, talking about somebody coming in and wanting to share something. I think there's a protocol here, and I would not just allow somebody I do not know, I might not even allow somebody I do know to just get up and say something that they, I don't know what they're going to say. Now, if that's controlling, so be it, but that's what I have to deal with and sleep with. And so I'm gonna, and if I'm in error, then I'll, I'll stand and say, you know what, I was in error. I, this brother had a word, and the Lord, we met, and you know, he really did have a word, and I want him to share that. And I was, you know, so if I'm going to err, I'm, I'm going to probably err a little bit more on the cautionary side, especially somebody that's a complete stranger. You know, but even still, even if it's somebody that I know, I want to know what, you know, I want to know what they're going to say. Because I don't want to have to come by behind them and clean it all up for the next three weeks. Because they said something goofy, you know. All right. Yeah. But see, that's the... Yeah. But see, I bear witness, I know you. Yeah. 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 Even if it's a story about little birds. All right. None of you remember that, but that, I had to say that. That's a, that was a great story. I would still think about that. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, I go back to the church at Corinth that had all this, these problems. And they were, I said they were like charismatics on steroids. But Paul never said, stop it. Stop it. You crazies. He just said, hey, you guys got to get some order here. And what we tend to do is we tend to go one extreme or the other. And, and we're never, listen, only heaven is balanced. And you know, sometimes balance is a, because sometimes balance, God doesn't know, well, I'm, get off of that. Yep, go ahead. Last word. No, I mean, I got to go. Go. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, a teachable moment, right? All right, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin in my life. Um, 
I, won't, I think that's pretty obvious. It's the Holy Spirit. Here's a couple of scriptures. Colossians 2, 6. The Holy Spirit says, As you therefore have received Christ, the Holy Spirit's working in us, sanctifying us, drawing and applying the gospel and the truth of Jesus in our life. So, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2, 6 on the screen, so walk in Him. What we're doing now is we're walking in Christ. The Holy Spirit's helping us to keep in step with the Spirit, as Galatians says. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the work of the Spirit in the believer's life. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. All of us came to Christ. We wouldn't even know what sin was unless the Holy Spirit opened our eyes from our deadness. Jesus said in John 3, 3 that unless one is born again, they can't even see the kingdom of God. So the work of the Spirit, I wouldn't even know what sin is, that it's, that it's, a, that it's something that hinders me from my relation with God if the work of the Spirit didn't precede that, okay? But now that I'm a believer, now that I've been justified in Christ, the Holy Spirit now is applying the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, and is leading me and cleansing me. And it's the Holy Spirit who's bringing conviction. I found that in many times, and it's tough, especially parents, when your kids get older, it's sometimes tough to keep your mouth shut. And to let the Holy Spirit go to work on them. Because the Holy Spirit can do much more effective work. And uh, you know that quote I always make from Jim Cimbala, that instead of focusing on leading sin out of people, lead people out of sin. You see where the focus is? We're always focused on sin. You ever, you know, all they want to do is talk about the sin, your sin, your sin. And trust me, I, I'm fully aware of remaining sin. But where is our focus? Are we trying to lead people out of sin? Meeting people where they're at. It's so easy to say, yeah, you, we'll do X, Y, Z as a church, but you've got to clean up your act. I'm glad God didn't have that kind of rule book. Now, does that mean we just... But my point is, is you meet people where they're at, get them in an environment of the body of Christ, giving them opportunity to have the Holy Spirit work in and work on their life, right? And the Holy Spirit can do a much better job than me trying to give them a, a, a list of do's and don'ts. Because guess what? You can keep that list and totally be devoid of the Spirit of God in your life. That's what you get when you have legalism and self-righteous works. Because you got your list, you got your checkboxes all in a row, but you have no heart. And heart for God, and you're mad at everybody all the time. And so... The application is because the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin in my life, I can live a life that is consistently free from sinful habits that hinder my fellowship with Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, I'm allowing Him to work and do His sanctifying work. Sanctifying is the process of the gospel, blood of Christ, whatever phrase you want to use, being applied to my life. Here's uh, the Holy Spirit will reveal the future. Now we know that the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, Jesus said, however, when he, the Holy Spirit has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears 
he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Now there's two, the immediate context, that was to the disciples that he will bring to your mind remembrance, he will reveal things to come. Uh, That was, again, immediate, those disciples, but I believe there's also the truth and the role of the Spirit that's going on there. We know that uh, God gave the prophetic word in the Old Testament about the coming of Christ, revealing the future. Uh, One example uh, there, I think, is in your uh, outline there. Do I have Acts 11? Okay. Here's an example of uh, a guy named Agabus, not an apostle, but he apparently is operating as a prophet in the church. It says, in those days, and in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was to be a great famine throughout the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar, etc. So he's, the Scripture, Luke is recording that this, was a, this is a prophet uh, of something revealed, of something that was going to take place in the future about a famine, and it clearly says this was showed to him by the Holy Spirit. Paul, you remember in Acts 27 when they were on that ship that uh, was rocking and rolling and they were stranded at Crete afterwards, but he said, he said to these guys on the boat, he said he was giving testimony that, look, you're safe because I'm here and God has told me that I'm going, to, um, I'm going to Rome to Caesar, so as long as you stay in the boat with me, I don't care what it's going on outside, I've got a mission and I'm gonna, God's going to see that, I'm, that he fulfills his purpose in my life. And he says, because God told me what's ahead. And that's what he's telling the testimony there in verse 23. He's saying the night when an angel stood by him and God told him, Uh, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul, the angel of the Lord speaking the word of the Lord. Paul's giving this testimony to these men on the ship. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought. You must be brought. This is the Holy Spirit, the word of God through this angel saying, you must be brought before Caesar. That's coming to Rome. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. In other words, you're safe as long as you're with me in this ship. Because God has told me what's ahead. And, and so uh, he says, verse 25, Take heart, men, for I believe, that, believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. So when you talk about the future, and this may be a little... Uh, I mean, because the Holy Spirit knows the future for my life, trying to make it personal... I must cultivate, and when I'm, I use the phrase listening spirit, that may sound a little weird. It just means that I'm, a lot of things, the way that God works in our life, I'm not hearing audible voices. You know, they have terms for that, right? There's medical issues, and I'm not hearing audible voices. But how many of you know that I'm hearing, I have a listening spirit? I'm hearing the Lord directing impressions in my life. I must cultivate. Cultivate means I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to be, you know how you grow in listening is to pay attention. All right. I need to cultivate a listening spirit to hear the Holy Spirit's directions and warnings in my life. And sometimes when I've blown through the red lights, so to speak, and disobeyed or even not even taken it to the Lord and to pray, I never really sought his counsel. So the Holy Spirit, he may not tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl or what the lotto numbers are, 
It's not that kind of prediction of the future. But the Holy Spirit knows what's ahead. And the Holy Spirit knows more than you do. God's sovereign. He sees the end from the beginning. And the Holy Spirit can give us direction, give us discernment, if we will listen. Number 10, let me go through, get through these quick. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. We've talked about that. Jesus said He will glorify me. Scripture on the screen, John 16, 14, He will take from what is mine to declare it to you. Um, John 6, 44, remember at the, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Holy Spirit is drawing people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is making Jesus real in people's life. He directs people to Jesus. How do, they, how do we know? Uh, how do people turn to Christ, the work of the Spirit? How is Jesus real in their life? Uh, how does the application of the cross made real in their life? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's drawing people uh, that God has commissioned. No one can come. No one can. That's an ability. No one has the ability to come to the Father. You didn't figure it out on your own. The only reason you, were, you came and were saved is because the Holy Spirit drew you to the Father. And the application is, because the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, my life will glorify and reflect Jesus as I consistently walk in the Spirit. Remember the, um, when the disciples, apostles, were before the authorities there in Acts Four, and uh, they said that they remarked that they were unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus. I want my life for people. I want to be. I want to glorify Jesus, but I also want to reflect Jesus. And how do I do that? As I walk, or Galatians five twenty five. One version says, "Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step. That means you don't get ahead, you don't lag behind, but you what? You keep in step." You know, you're walking consistently with the Spirit. All right, 11, the Holy Spirit gives power. We're going to talk more about this in a few weeks. Holy Spirit, Jesus said, go to and wait. The Holy Spirit comes. He's going to come and fill you with power. And because the Holy Spirit, and look at this, because the Holy Spirit gives me spiritual empowerment, because I now have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I am fully equipped with heaven's resources. Ephesians 1, I think verse 3, says that every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ, present. I am fully equipped with heaven's resources to accomplish anything and everything that God has purposed for my life. So don't say, I don't know how I could ever do that. You can't. But if God has purposed it for your life, guess what? You're saying, God, you can, you'll fail me. You've purposed something for my life, but you can't deliver. No, because the Holy Spirit gives me the power. What did Jesus tell them to do? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. But they can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't even understand, they didn't understand what Jesus was even talking about, about his resurrection until after the Holy Spirit filled them. Because in Acts 1, they're still worried, they're still asking him questions about the restoration of Israel. And he's resurrected, they still are. But the Holy Spirit came and all of a sudden brought 
It's like connecting that power cord to the socket, and all of a sudden, all the lights came on. You ever decorate your house, and all of a sudden, you plug that in, and all of a sudden, the lights come on? That's the wonderful thing about... All right, last one, and we'll talk about this. This will be, be fun. We'll get, we'll, get, we'll get rocking and rolling. We talk about the, manifest, the spiritual gifts. And because the Holy Spirit has given me a specific spiritual gift, one, I believe, it, Scripture is clear, every believer has been gifted with at least one gift. And it's not, it's for the benefit and edification of the church. So because the Holy Spirit has given me a specific gift, a specific spiritual gift, I am, I am an equipped and participating partner in the work of God, in His church, and in His kingdom. Look, we didn't get just saved to kind of hang out and wait for the sweet by and by in the streets of gold. We have a commission. We have a role to play in God's purposes in our generation. And God has equipped us. And I remember my uncle, when he would sometimes talk about a cemetery, said the saddest thing of a cemetery is all the buried spiritual gifts in that cemetery. All the buried potential of what could have been. Because God won't force you. Right? He's not going to force you. If you just sit on it and say, well, I'm too old, I'm too uneducated, I'm too this, I'm too that. You're right. You may be all those things, but... Spirit is in you. He's empowered you. He's equipped you. So you're saying, God, you're, this, you're not adequate. So, all right, next week, and I'm doing this intentionally. We've had a lot of teaching the last three weeks, and I'm using the Jim Symbolist series periodically because I think it's so good. And next week, we're going to hear the uh, teaching from Jim Symbolist the first night that we uh, did. This is the second uh, teaching he has. We'll probably space them out every three or four weeks. But he's going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. So good. Don't just, because it's a video, write it off, because it's way better than anything I can give you. And so uh, Jim Cimbala will do that next week, talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, maybe the following week when we, after that, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Because we only tend to think about Holy Spirit New Testament. Holy Spirit, still around in the Old Testament. Especially Genesis 1 verse 1. The Spirit brooding over the face of the waters. Right there in the beginning. In the beginning God. Uh, we talk about the Holy... And then, something really to me that's interesting. Is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. You realize Jesus was a man that put himself in dependency of the Holy Spirit. While he walked the earth. You realize the miracles and the empowerment that he did on the earth wasn't necessarily because he was God, but as much as he was the Spirit-filled man walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, of course he was God. But remember what Philippians 2 says? That he set that aside. He didn't become less of a God. It's not what he's talking about. He set aside all the empowerments and prerogatives of deity, he's still God of very God. You can't dissect him. But while he was here on the earth, think about when did his ministry take off? The baptism, 
This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the very next event in Luke, in Matthew, Mark, what? He was thrust into the wilderness to immediately confront Satan. How did he do that? Did he do that as God? He did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Now again, that's a paradigm that we're not used to hearing. But we want to talk about what is the significance and role the Holy Spirit had in the life of Jesus. If Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit, how much more, right, do we need the presence of the Spirit in his life? So I think that'll be interesting. So.